Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and I want to welcome back to the show, William Warren. William, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Henry. Thanks for having me back on for the second time. I'm honored to be back. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, there's a, a new book we're going to talk about here. And really, if you are a creative, like do you love to illustrate, animate, paint, draw, take photos, shoot videos, edit footage, design, build brands, make comics, render in 3D, do motion media, sketch storyboards, make character art, um, create concepts, make music and more, you know, you're that creative type and you want to, or are working at building a business out of that. That's what we're going to talk about. And that's what, uh, William has focused on in his new book is the business stuff. That side of it, this episode is for you. If that describes you, if you want to receive more information about the, how a business, including the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. I also encourage you to please subscribe to my show wherever you're listening so you don't miss any new episodes. Let me tell you a little bit more about William Warren. William Warren is an illustrator, an entrepreneur, and an author who has spent his career using visuals to help communicate ideas and tell stories. He is the founder and CEO of The Sketch Effect. The Sketch Effect is a visual communication company that helps make, make ideas understandable and actionable through animation. Um, he does this at live events uh, where he does event sketching and infographics, amongst other things. The Sketch Effect's clients list includes top-tier brands such as Marriott, Oracle, Chick-fil-A, and Delta, in addition to premier consultancies, including BCG, ENY, and Accenture. The Sketch Effect is sketched for thought leaders such as Steve Wozniak, Renee Brown, Malala Yousafzai, Sheryl Sandberg, Andy Stanley, and many, many more. And so William's new book is entitled The Conquering Creative, Nine Shifts to Build an Unstoppable Creative Business. And it's just been released it's a great book. I've had the chance. I have a physical copy of it here in front of me, and I've had a chance to preview it and, and have a lot of questions for William. William lives in the Atlanta, Georgia area. So once again, William Warren, welcome back to the show. Thanks. I appreciate the intro. And again, it's an honor to be back on the show. I'm really excited about this book. Can't wait to dive into it together. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great, great read and very well put together. And we'll, we'll explore that here as we talk about it. So as I said, and as we mentioned, uh, War, uh, William, I keep saying, William Warren has been on the show before, back on episode 320. And so on that episode, I did the traditional journey, how William got to where he is today. So if you're interested in learning more about that and more about what Sketch Effect does and using the visual communication, that's what we explored back on that episode. Great episode has been one of the more popular episodes on my podcast. So check that out. But since we're not going to focus on that, I think it's very interesting though, if you would give us the, the quick elevator pitch, if you will, on the sketch effect, because it's not, it's not obvious, but just by the name. So tell us the summary of what it is that you do at the sketch effect today. 
Of course. So the sketch effect, we're a visual communications company. And what that simply means is we harness the power of visuals to help our clients communicate their ideas in a more impactful, a more effective way. So specifically, that takes a few forms. Uh, our core service, kind of our what we're best known for is a live event sketching service called graphic recording. And with graphic recording, what we do is we send an artist or a team of artists on site or virtually to a client event. And as a client is having their their event, whether it's a trade show or a panel discussion or a leadership summit or a brainstorm session or a workshop, whatever it is, while they're having their event, our artists are live in the room or live virtually, and they're actively listening to the content and they're sketching it out in real time, creating a visual mind map or infographic or summary sketch of the content. And the goal with that is to make those ideas from those meetings more understandable to where the audience members really get it. They really understand it more memorable to where they retain the ideas. And then finally more actionable so that they can go and do something, go and take relevant action based on that output. We also do animation. We do infographic design. So we create whiteboard videos, motion graphics, 2d animation videos, and it's a lot of fun. And really, it all comes down to communication. And yeah. we're, a firm, we're firm believers that communication is best when it's not only verbal, but also visual, because you're tapping into different parts of the learning experience. Right, right. It's brilliant. It's very interesting stuff. Again, if you want to learn more about that, go back and listen to, to episode 320, where we go into even more detail. Today, we're going to focus on the book. And so again, the book is called The Conquering Creative, Nine Shifts to Build an Unstoppable Creative Business. First question I always ask when I'm interviewing an author is, what what led you to write the book and who is it for ideally? For sure. So this book is really for myself about 10 or 11 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, The Conquering Creative is a book that um, I wrote to anyone who considers himself a creative As you mentioned in your introduction, that could be a painter or an illustrator or a videographer or even a musician or a writer or a blogger or a podcaster. Anyone who considers themselves a a creative, delivering creative work, and they want to take that creative service and skill and turn it into a business, but they struggle with the business side of things. In fact, most creatives like myself about 10 years ago find business to be very boring they don't want to touch it because it's going to bore the snot out of them. <laughs> they find it scary. You know, I don't, this is, you know, this is terrifying. The idea of being on my own and doing sales and doing the numbers and drumming up business, or they find it just incredibly overwhelming where they don't even want to touch it. You know, they, they, they'd rather just kind of bury their head in the sand. And that was my experience when I was in my twenties about to graduate from art school. Here I was at the Savannah college of art and design finishing up a master's degree in illustration and absolutely petrified by the idea of entering the quote unquote real world and then having to make money and support myself and do sales. And so um, it took me a while to get there, but I eventually did create my own business, the sketch effect, and we can unpack that story later if you want. And now we're 10 years down the road and I've got a team of about 20 people. We work with clients all over the world um, we're doing, we're generating great revenue, um, supporting myself well. And so I really wanted to write this book to send a message back in time or to myself or to anyone else who needs to hear it, that the business side of things is not as hard as you think. Um, and if you can just learn a few tools and be encouraged and be equipped, you too can do it. And you too can build an unstoppable creative career or creative business, whatever that looks like. 
Yeah, I agree. And that's, I don't know that I consider myself a creative, certainly the type of business I've been in or not in that classic sense, but, but I think of business as creating something. So I always look at it that way. We all have that fear when we're putting something out there into the market, it's our creation one way or another. And we're certainly, if nothing else, afraid of the rejection of that. And we'll get into that in a moment. But I'd like you to go back to, you touched on it briefly, the story that you share early in the book, when you found yourself in that parking garage later in your school career, hitting that wall. Tell us about that and what, how you went in a certain direction as a result of that for a period of time. Exactly. So it's one of the first stories in the book. And I will say the book's full of stories. It is a, it is a business book, but it is told through stories and fully in illustrations. It's fully illustrated. And this is one of those early stories. Essentially, I was about to graduate from the Savannah College of Art and Design with a, a master's degree in illustration. And I was, I think, about a quarter or so away from graduating. And I remember it vividly. It was a rainy day. It was cold. It was the middle of the winter. And I had a break between classes. And I remember walking out to the parking deck at the Savannah College of Art and Design in the Atlanta, the Atlanta campus, that is. And from the parking deck, you can see this the beautiful skyline of Atlanta. And I would go out there often to draw or sketch or think. And on this day, I remember going out there and I felt miserable. I remember it was raining, it was gross and cold. And I just stared out into the onto the Atlanta skyline, thinking to myself, how the heck am I gonna do this? You know, I can't do this. I don't know anything about business. I don't know how to how to make sales. I don't know how to generate, how to find clients or customers or or do all that business stuff. And um that fear, that that um that fear of of going in on my own and doing the business stuff on my own led me to make a massive pivot. So what I did was I hopped on Google and I started searching for open positions at established companies because mm. I was afraid of of being an entrepreneur. I was afraid of doing my own business. So I looked for what was what I considered to be an easier option. And so sure enough, I, I was able to find a, a part-time entry-level marketing job at a big company in Atlanta. And for a brief moment, my creative career was over. You know, mm. I it was done. And I remember having friends tell me they'd say, Hey, William, like you're not drawing anymore. Like you're not in, in school anymore. Like what what's going on? And I remember kind of with a lot of shame being like, Yeah, I, I'm not doing that. Um, and so I, in hindsight, I'm actually, I'm actually quite grateful for that. My stint in corporate America, and I was there for about two and a half to three years at that job because I did get a chance to learn about business and how, how to, um, how to, how to manage a team and how to work with agencies and how to read a statement of work and all these things. And I realized that it wasn't as hard as I thought. And I wrote this book because, you know, we don't have to do creatives don't have to do a stint in corporate America to learn some of these business basics. They don't have to go and do their time in a cubicle or with a suit and tie job to learn how to um, how to manage finances and how to do sales and how to hire. They don't have to do that. They can learn right here and right now and begin building a creative career today. Yeah. So that story sticks in my brain of 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 just kind of the fear and and that that panic I had in that parking deck moment. And uh, this book will hopefully help people avoid those kind of moments and uh, begin building their business now. Yeah, and I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people, whether it happened early in their education phase, as it did for you, or as maybe they've tried to start a creative business and hit that wall, right? Um, and so much of it is that fear. From your perspective, 
why do you think so many creative people struggle with the quote unquote business side of things? Where do you think it comes from? I think it comes from a few places. One is most creatives, especially those that go to art school or pursue a career in creativity, they're doing that because they love the creative craft. They for, from from a young age, especially this is my experience, from a young age you love your creative thing. You love making your art, whatever that art looks like. And so we pour all of our eggs into that basket and we go to art school and we learn to get great at our craft. We learn to be the most excellent whatever we can be. And oftentimes we neglect and we fail to learn about some of the business side of things. Yeah. And then this thing happens where all of a sudden you graduate from school and you're no longer expected to make straight A's. You're expected to get a client. You're expected yeah, you're to you're graded in a completely different way now. Yeah. Right. The great it's not about turning in great work on time. It's about a zillion other factors that make you successful as a professional creative. And I think a lot of us are are overwhelmed by that. You know, we're, we're we don't consider, you know, it's our smarter <laughs> quote unquote, not actually smarter, but you know, this is my this is my experience. I'm like my smarter friends went to business school, my smarter friends went to law school. That's not me. I'm an artist, but, um, you know, the, the sad reality is, and I call this the creatives conundrum, which is that if you want to be a professional creative, you've got to get a handle on some of these businessy things. You've got to get a handle on some business basics or else what happens is you no longer get to do your creative thing, right? You have to find it. You have to make a living doing something else. So, um, unless you want to keep your creative thing in the hobby zone, you have to master a few um, business basics. Yeah, well said. And so what I've done is I've gone through the book as I've pulled out some things that that stood out. Obviously, you can't go through the whole book, but you got to read the book. But let me start with this one. You kind of have them titled uh, this way in certain sections. But the first section that stood out was you said, my art is my passion needs to turn into my art is my product. So exactly. introduce what that means to me. So the book is structured in, and it's broken into three parts. The first part are three shifts in thinking. The second part are three shifts in our actions. And the third part are three shifts in our outcomes. And I'm a believer that our thinking influences our actions and behaviors and our actions and behaviors influence our destinies. So I want to begin with our the way we think as professional creatives. So the very first chapter is is encouraging people to shift their thinking from my art is my passion to my passion or my art is my product. Mm -hmm. And that's a big jump for a lot of creatives because for most of our lives, our art, our our creative thing is very emotional to us. It's part yeah. of our soul. It's, you know, we grew up doing this thing. We have a lot of formative experiences that are anchored on our creative skill. Um, I, I, I tell three or four stories in the book of, of very emotional experiences, um, positive and negative ones that were all intertwined with my art. So we have to, we have to accept that our art, our creativity is part of our soul. It's part of our heart and soul. However, and this is a big, however, if you want to become a professional at it, if you want to grow a business out of it, you have to take that part of your soul and essentially turn it into a product. And that can feel like selling out to a lot of creatives. That right. can feel like you are selling and packaging part of your heart and soul. Um, and the reality is it's not selling out. What it is, it's, it's smart. It is, and it's a privilege. It's an incredible blessing to be able to make a living doing something you love. Not everyone can claim that. And so the whole first chapter is all about unpacking this idea of 
You got to make peace with this idea that you're turning your passion into a product. And then how do you go about doing that? And that's when we get into some business basics, like how do you find product market fit? How do you price your work? How do you find your customers? How, you know, what are all the steps that go into productization and then encouraging people to go about pursuing those steps? But if I don't make this initial shift, then, uh, I mean, this is where it starts or ends, in my opinion, in, in understanding this, right? If I, if I cannot accept this and make this shift that I have to look at it as a product that I'm producing, if I can't accept that, I'm probably not going to be successful in the in, you know in business with with my creative side now it could end up still being a famous artist perhaps right and get discovered sometime but 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 as but in the typical context that we're talking about here to make a business out of my creative abilities this is a required shift in my mindset right if we don't take on this mental shift you we're in for a, a world of hurt first yeah. of all our businesses just won't be successful right. i mean like you said you might luck your way into some great exposure and you know maybe become some famous celebrity but that's probably not going to happen mm -hmm. so if you don't embrace this shift your your creative career or creative business will not be sustainable long term but then it, it gets worse than that and chapter 2 dives into this which is that if you don't separate your, you know, your, your passion, if you don't kind of make this passion to product shift, you're going to start, um, you're going to deal with a whole lot of, of, of emotional and mental strain that comes with not having that clear delineation. Yeah. In this section or chapter, you also, I thought very well, uh, explain what you call the sweet spot. And there's a great visual of it, three intersecting circles uh, on, on page 37 that I'm looking at right now, but obviously we can't see that as we listen to this. But I wonder if you could walk us through this concept at a high level of what is this idea of finding the sweet spot? The sweet spot is one of the most critical things that I coach other creatives on. And I have the privilege of coaching not only my employees and my team, but also other other people that that want to learn. And I always start with a sweet spot exercise. Because a lot of creatives will begin with the first part, the first few parts of the overlapping Venn diagram, but they miss the third. So let me explain mm -hmm. what they are. The first one is the first sphere or the first uh, circle in this diagram is uh, what you're good at. Mm -hmm. What are you naturally talented at? What are the things that your friends and family have been telling you for years? Hey, you're really good at that. Like, yeah, so you know, I'm a good, I'm good at animation. I'm good at that. I'm a natural exactly. at it. It comes to me naturally, it seems. So I, that's what I'm good at. Exactly. For me, that was drawing. People said, Oh, I love your cartoons. I love your drawing. And I would say, Thanks. You know, and I and and we know that. And most creatives know what that is. That's pretty easy to figure out what you're good at. And if you've gone to art school or you've, you know, have an advanced degree, then then you likely focused in on that particular area. But but let me challenge you there. If I think I'm good at multiple things, do for this exercise, do I look at it as do I worry about what might be most marketable of those things that I'm good at or not yet? So I think that's really part of finding product market fit. And I, I love mm -hmm. unpacking that because okay. we can be good at a lot of things, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean that the market yeah, is going to But there's want a market it. for that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I, I encourage every, anyone, not even just creatives, but anyone who's being an entrepreneur is to like try a lot of stuff early, you know, yeah. try a lot of things early and see what sticks and what doesn't. But then again, and, William, if, if you would have told somebody your idea for what you do now, I would have said, oh, nobody wants that. But yet there you are. You're, you're making a living selling what you do. 
through the sketch effect, right? Yes, but Henry, there's about six other things that I used to do that I thought were excellent that no one ever bought. And so I (laughs) I don't do those anymore. Got it. Um, All right. So let's go back to it. No, but you're right. All right. So what am I good at? That's that first circle that I draw at the top here of my piece of paper imagination. My imaginarily at the top of my circle is uh, what am I good at? Exactly. So if you're moving down to the next circle in the Venn diagram, then you get to the passion one. What am I passionate mm. about? Okay. And these are about things that fire you up, that get you excited, that are emotional. Um, because there are things we're good at that we might not be excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really critical. You know, if you don't have that passion in the mix, you're going to enter the burnout zone where okay. you know you can do something that you're not passionate about for a period of time, but eventually you're you're going to burn out. You've got to have that passion to have a successful creative career or business. So is that partly how I begin to qualify of the things that I'm good at? Usually those things go hand in hand, right? I'm passionate about what I'm good at. I'm good about what I'm passionate about. But but what is it that I'm more passionate about that I can see myself doing longer term? Is that right. part of it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the passion is going to sustain you in those dark days. And in, in the hard times, you're going to fall back on your passion and your purpose, which is another another concept we unpack in the book, is is kind of working on your your individual purpose statement. Um, and without that passion, you know, you will burn out. And so it's critical to find something that you that you that can sustain you, that um, that you can get fired up about, even when it's hard. And so let me explain. So for me, I, I love drawing, but my passion is really ideas. My passion mm. is communicating ideas, and I my see. passion is also working with people. So as I was building the sketch effect, I realized that, you know, what what I'm what I was good at was drawing, but what I was passionate about was working with people and connecting ideas. You would have stories. not found that passion if you were locked up in a room or in a studio all day drawing. You would you would hit a wall with that at some point. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the uh, that's the passion circle. And then the third one, and this is the kicker, and this is what a lot of creatives struggle with, is the third part, the third circle in this Venn diagram is what does the market need? What are people going to be willingly, will willingly offer you their real money <laughs> to buy? Mm-hmm. And um, this is one where a lot of people get get tripped up. And this is where I got tripped up personally. I mentioned, you know, I started my business with, with nine or so products and now only about three still exist because there's some things that you're great at, that you're excited about, and that that's pretty cool and people might like it. But it all comes down to will they will they pay for it? You know, will they buy it? Um, and that's you know, this is nothing new. You know, anyone who's an entrepreneur knows this. Yeah. But for creative professionals and creatives, this is this is a big one because you might be able to work you know twenty hours on this amazing you know sculpture, but if no one's going to buy it, then it's it's not you know it's not going to sustain you. So that's I always so... encourage creatives to go through this process mm-hmm. of. Um, the sweet spot exercise of, of listing out all these things they are good at things they're passionate about, and then things the market will need and will, and will want. And then you plant your business in the center of those three circles. And if you nail it, if you hit that bullseye, then you will be an unstoppable creative force. And that's the sweet spot, but don't, I know you talk about it in the book, but don't I, to some extent have to trial and error my way to finding that sweet spot? Or do you think there really are, as you spell out in, in the book, ways to at least navigate that faster? Is is that the point? The Exactly. The goal is to get to that point 
is to narrow narrow your scope as much as you can and then start to trial and error your way to the center of that bullseye as best as you can. Mm-hmm. So like I had a I had a product early on in my in my in the Sketchfex existence, which I thought was fantastic. And it was called whiteboard dashboards. So any corporate office in America, if it's you know modern at least, will have whiteboards everywhere. And so I thought I will go on site at these corporate offices and take a data dashboard, you know, some results or metrics or something. And I would create a whiteboard drawing of it on a whiteboard and make it illustrated and and cool. And I thought this was great. And people told me they loved it. But when it came down to it, people just weren't real willing to pay what I needed to make in order for it to be a sustainable product. Right. So that one had to go. And there's several stories like that. Mm-hmm. So it is a constant trial and error. You adjust, you readjust, you figure out what the market needs. You adjust your pricing, you adjust your process. And um, hopefully you make your way to that center of that sweet spot. Yeah. This is Henry Lopez briefly pausing this episode to invite you to join me for one of my next live online workshops. During these interactive workshops, I cover a specific topic that will help you with starting and growing your small business. Just visit thehowofbusiness.com to learn more and to register. If you need help creating an effective business plan, for example, to start your first small business, then my next business plan workshop may be just what you need. Or perhaps you need help completing your financial projections for your new business. Well, I have a workshop for that too. And if you're already operating your business, then you can probably benefit from learning how to better manage the cash in your business by attending my cash flow management online workshop. These are just a few of the workshops that I currently offer, and I keep these workshops to a small number of participants so that we have the time to answer all of your questions. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there with one of my online workshops. To find out more and to register for a live online workshop, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to having you join me for my next workshop. Related to this, and I had mentioned my, my friend Ryan, who is a creative and has a great business mostly around uh, generating video content. And the question he wanted me to ask you relates to this, I think, and that is, do you recommend that you that he niche down or the opposite be the jack of all trades i think i know what the answer is here but but do i do i niche down at least initially to find that sweet spot i think is the answer versus trying to be everything to everybody that's a fantastic question and i always encourage folks that are beginning their creative career to try a lot of things see what sticks see what they're excited about see what people want what people demand you know the, listen to that market demand because it's going to tell you and then as soon as you catch a whiff of what is your hot product or your hot service then to niche down on it and double down on it hard i see and i i'm a believer that there's there a mentor of mine once told me that there's riches in the niches mm-hmm. and these days with the internet it's like you can find anything you want so if someone wants to be an abstract impressionist painter of dog portraits. Like that's a great business. I'm sure there's probably a lot of customers that want abstract paintings of their, of their pooches. Right. Um, you know, and so I think that once you, once you find a, once you catch a whiff of, of where that, that hot product is going is, is to go down, double down on and follow it. 
Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That makes sense. All right. Kind of continuing here and related back to what we have been talking about earlier. The other thing you're talking about is that I am more than my work is one of the sections or chapters maybe, which is a lot about dealing with rejection, which, which we've touched on, um, you know, creators where we're sometimes measured on our subjective terms, but how do you, how do how, how do you manage that criticism and that feedback from clients on something that you've produced? It's very personal. This your creation. Yeah. Rejection's a big deal. I mean, we all, we all deal with it. Um, everybody faces rejection in their, in their life, especially in, in their professional lives for creatives. I think it cuts a little deeper because yes. to, to the point I mentioned earlier, this thing we're doing, painting, illustrating, drawing, editing, you know, this is part of who we are. You know, yeah, I it comes from insight, comes from you and it's your, it's your creation as much as anything else could be possibly your creation, right? Right. So we have emotional attachments to our work. It, it's a, it, it gets us on a soul level. And so when someone says, you know what, I don't really want to buy your thing, or I don't really want to hire you for this, or we're going to go with a different vendor, you know, whatever that form of rejection is, it can hurt bad for creatives. And so chapter three is all about this. How do you build that separation? How do you, how do you shift your thinking from I am my work, you know, where, where if they like my work, then they must like me. If they don't like my work, it must mean that I'm not great or worthy. How do we shift away from that to, I am more than my work to where a rejection is just a rejection of the product, not a rejection of who I am on a personal level. And flip side is true as well. You know, when we're wildly successful and people heap praises upon you, how do you keep that from inflating your ego? How do you keep right. that from, from getting your head in the clouds? And so I, and I argue that it's important to become an emotionally resilient creative and an emotionally resilient creative. They handle rejection. Well, they, they don't see it as an indictment of them, but they see it as a learning opportunity. They, they learn from it and then they bounce back quickly. And so I think that emotionally resilient creatives are strong creatives because, yeah, it's all about bouncing back. We're going to face rejections, but it's an, it's critical to take that next step. Um, and so I offer three strategies for building that emotional resilience as a creative. And they're really quite simple, um, but so many people tend to neglect this. The first one is community. So we all need to be in community, especially, I mean, entrepreneurs tend to be, it's a lonely road running Absolutely. your own business. Absolutely. No matter what kind of business you are, it is a lonely road. You're dealing with things that most people aren't dealing with. You're dealing no. with problems that people can't relate to. Even your spouse or your your kids or your partner, whoever it is, they might listen to you and commiserate, but they really can't relate. So what's critical is that we get into community, get into a community of peers, get into a, a you know industry community, whatever that is. You got to get yourself surrounded by by peers. Strategy number two is mentorship and coaching. I'm a firm believer in having people that are a few steps ahead of you that can speak into your business. They can offer you solutions you don't already have, perspective you don't have, and um, encouragement as well. And then the third one is self-care. And we all know what self-care is, but it's one of those things that we talk about, but we don't always reflect it in our calendars. You know, we, we say it's a priority, but when, when I look at when I open my outlook calendar, it's not always there. Mm -hmm. So those are the strategies we unpack in the book. And I encourage everyone to, to take the time, make the investment, join a group, find a mentor, and then figure out your self-care plan and then make sure your calendar reflects it. Yeah. I, I think that's powerful advice, William. Thanks for that. Very actionable and, and, I, like you said, I can relate it to even just any entrepreneurship. In fact, 
And just this morning, I had a, I did an interview for a podcast that will be released soon with a, a gentleman by the name of Courtney Ream. He's a venture capitalist, very successful business owner. Mm-hmm. And one of his success criteria as far as personality is exactly the same thing, emotional resiliency. So I share that because it doesn't just apply to creatives. I think it applies to anybody who's trying to build their own thing. To be an entrepreneur, you have to have that resiliency. But you're so right that it can be such an isolating pursuit. And so that's why we got to surround ourselves by a community of people who are trying to do the same thing or just ahead of us. And the whole mentorship thing, you know, I wish I would have learned that so much earlier in life. You know, when I was a young man, I was the typical, you know, I don't need to ask Mm -hmm. for directions kind of guy. Right. And you learn later how powerful that is. It's also one of the reasons I like to partner because I, because I can, can have that companionship along this, what can be a lonely pursuit sometime. So Thanks for sharing that advice. That's, that's valuable. All right. I want to jump to this other one that really stood out for me because again, it, I had immediately, it struck a a nerve with me and that is to shift from this uh, mindset of my work speaks for itself to, I must speak up for my work. Tell me what you mean there, because this is this one. I, I, I get a lot from this one. Yep. This is one. I think this is our first of the action shifts. And what I mean by that is, for creatives, and I would expand that to anyone who is producing a good or a service. We often think that if my work is good enough, it will speak for itself. You know, if the quality is there, it will sell. And as we touched on earlier, you might get lucky. You know, someone might see it and they might buy it or they might want to hire you based on the quality alone. And this is really kind of a school mindset where we're graded on our quality not on all these other things. However, to be a successful creative, whether you're pursuing a career or a, um, a business or a freelance career, whatever that is, it it doesn't end with just doing great work. You've got to stand up and speak out for your work. And so that translates into sales, into marketing, into, into testimonials, you know, doing all these habits that generate that generate sales. And, you know, I, I mentioned this, that, you know, without sales, you have no business and that's kind of a no brainer. But again, for, for creatives, we have to understand that we need to be putting in just as much effort into producing great work as we do into selling our work. So there's lots of strategies for that on, you know, in, in terms of, of prospecting and sales funnels and, and identifying your ideal customer profile and then nitty gritty actionable advice like how do you get a CRM? What is a CRM? How do you set it up? What what are the what are the sales habits you need to build into your schedule? Because a lot of this again does not come naturally to creatives or to a lot of us. But again, you know, our work is not going to speak for itself. We also have to stand up and speak for the work. Agreed. Yeah. Well said. You know, this this resonated for me because this actually applied to me in my career early in the 90s when I was in my sales career, I was of the type as a lot of people, I was like, well, I, you know, I do a great job and and I and and that'll speak for himself and that'll be recognized mm-hmm, and right, superiors, right. but but it doesn't work that way, right? We have to right. be our own champions. Um, and it so much more applies here in this case. And I think it does come from that a little bit. Maybe, maybe it's arrogance where we think, well, you know, look at the incredible art I'm producing, that should speak for itself, shouldn't it? Right. Right. 
Um, and yet, even when we think of famous artists, they most of them had some sort of a champion, a dealer or an exposition or something that gave them that opportunity to be exposed. So even in those cases, uh, when we think of traditional famous artists, they needed that opportunity either for themselves or someone to to speak up for their work. Is that fair? Exactly. And even if you do work with an agent or become part of, you know, join an agency or someone who will market and sell on your behalf, you still have to market and sell to them. You know, you yes. still have you still have to make that sale with that agent or that person. Right. So even if you're not going to be out pounding the pavement and knocking on doors and cold calling people, if you're not going to be doing quote unquote traditional sales, you are still selling to someone. Yep. And so it's important to understand that, yeah, I mean, you might have the best painting in the world, but if you don't tell people about it, no one's ever going to know. And imagine yeah. how many great products or great art or great services never got discovered because they just weren't properly promoted. Correct. Absolutely. And so part of what you talk about in the book is then we have to learn to sell the value of our particular uh, creative effort. What is the value that that is providing for our prospective clients, right? Right. We think of, when we think of value, we're talking about what problems are you solving or pains are you alleviating or what pleasures are you providing? You know, what mm -hmm. dreams are you unlocking for people? Exactly. And creatives, you know, again, we, we tend to think, oh, I'm, I'm providing a painting or I'm providing a storyboard or I'm providing a, a, a video edit. And that is, that may be what you're providing, but you're really providing more than that. You are yeah. solving a problem for that's someone. That's right. And that's you what know? I'm paying for is the client. I'm paying for the problem that you're helping me solve or or what you're helping me promote or whatever exactly. it is. That's what I'm paying for. Exactly. So we need to think about, you know, not just what kind of craft we're doing, but what problems are we solving? How are we making someone's life better by either taking away their pains or increasing their pleasures? Okay, where you know, obviously, the place to start is to is to read the book. But when you when you when someone you know just getting out of art school or they're starting or they're thinking about starting a business in the creative field, where do you recommend that they start? And I think we've touched about some of this, but maybe the better question is what what mindset should I work on first as I get ready to start a creative business? I love that question. And and so, you know, the original manuscript or plan for this book was that it was going to be a linear one where it's, you know, step one, do this step two, mm -hmm. and it was going to mm -hmm. flow sequentially. And I, as I thought about it, I realized all these shifts, these nine shifts, they can all happen simultaneously, or they can happen at different moments at different times based on different contexts. I think that the overarching shift, and this is, there's not a chapter about this, but all these shifts kind of come back to this idea is this idea of growth mindset. This idea of knowing that, you know, we have our, we have our skills, we have our God-given talents and abilities, but we're not locked into that. You know, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset says, Hey, I might not know how to read a PL. I might not know how to sell. I might not know how to write a proposal, but I can learn how. Or I can find someone to teach me. Or right. I can figure, I can figure it out. And that's a massive thing that I hammer hard in the book, which is, you know, most things you can figure out. Most things you can you can Google an answer, you can find a mentor, you can find a resource to equip you. And so I would just encourage listeners to to really you know, consider, do they have a growth mindset or do they have a fixed mindset? I think most of us tend to fall into a fixed mindset where we know what we're good at. We know what we're not, and we tend to stay in those lanes, but I'm a believer that we can, we can learn 
new things. We can do hard things and we just have to lean into that, into that growth mindset. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Again, the book is called The Conquering Creative, Nine Shifts to Build an Unstoppable Creative Business by William Warren. Great book. I'll have a link to it, obviously, on the show notes page. Uh, but I'm always looking for book recommendations we were chatting about before we started recording. Is there another book that comes to mind that you've read recently that, or not recently, that you would recommend? A book I read last year, which really stuck to me, is a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Let me verify that title real quick. Yep, Look at my That's bookcase. correct, because I'm looking at it right now on my book. Okay, case. good. <laughs> good. I always think it's funny when people recommend books and they don't know who the author is. And I'm yeah. thinking, did you really read it? Or did it well, really- I, I do that know? because I have such poor retention. I forget that's sometimes true. That's who the true. author is. That's true. Uh, but Deep Work by Cal Newport is uh, a great book. I'm a, I'm a big believer in it. Do I always put it into practice? Not always. You know, confession there. But it's all about how do you get into a deep work zone where you're doing your best work with the most impact? Because, you know, modern day society, we are trained to be constantly distracted, constantly multitasking, where instead of doing one thing with complete greatness, we're doing lots of things with mediocrity. And so that's one I would recommend. Yeah, no, it's it's a great book. And I'm... I wanted you uh, to speak to it a little bit because then in your book, it, it so relates to everything, doing any kind of quality work, but you talk about time is your most valuable resource in your book. And what deep work talks about is how do we, well, it speaks to the fact that we're getting worse and worse, generally speaking, at concentrated effort without distraction. Um, I got to think, though, that one of the challenges, well, I know that one of the challenges that creatives have is they can get lost in that thing that they enjoy doing. <laughs> exactly. And the next thing they know, they've spent all day on something and they didn't follow up on the lead and they didn't go to the networking event and they didn't call. You know, so how do you how do you apply then, whether you call it time blocking or whatever? to manage your time best? What are a couple of tips that you've applied to work for you? I love that you asked this question because it's true. Most creatives, we get into the zone, we get into that flow state, and then we're we're working for hours. On yeah, our, the next thing, thing we 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 look up and it's like, oh my God, the whole day's gone working on this yeah. thing. Loved it, loved it, but I didn't get everything else done. So most of us creatives are, 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 are cool with the deep work thing when it comes to our creative work. Right. However, the the, the shift really happens when you realize that You've got to do a bunch of other stuff too. <laughs> so how do you how do you work? How do you get into deep work mode on other things? How do you go about breaking down your work into tasks? How do you go about calendar blocking your work? How do you prioritize your calendar based on your energy level and your focus? Um, so chapter five is all about shifting from I work as an artist to I work as a professional. And it's a lot of basic stuff, but it's stuff that has really changed how I work, you know. Um taking a big massive project and breaking it down into the step-by-step -step actionable actionable tasks to get that work done and then blocking it off and then maybe finding people to delegate it to and then setting reminders and productivity tips and a whole you know whole slew of things that go into into um, working like a professional who works efficiently and works effectively. And, and the goal with that, the goal with that is, is to get that stuff done faster so that you can go back to doing the stuff you love. You know, if you can do your tax forms faster, you can do your sales faster, then you can spend more time doing that creative thing that you really get excited about. So it's ultimately about freeing you up, helping you do better work faster, more efficiently, more effectively. So you can spend time doing the things that, that matter most, which is doing your art or, you know, 
hanging out with your family or doing self-care activities or friends, family, you know, all that. Well said. Well said. Yeah, I couldn't agree. And that's what I, I really like about this book is it's, I mean, it has the stories, it breaks it down, but it's very much also a how-to manual. And of course, that appeals to me because that's the name of the show, the how <laughs> right. of business, you know, actionable content that actually helps us make progress. Um, great stuff. All right. Let me summarize it or you'll help me summarize it, William. What, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had related to your title, The Conquering Creative, making that shift from now being a creative and making a business out of that? What's one thing you would have us take away? The one thing I want people to take away is that, you know, I define a conquering creative as someone who's great at their craft, but also great at the business of their craft. And the takeaway there is that the business side of things is less hard than you think. The bar is lower than you think, just with a little bit of tools, some equipment, some encouragement, some tactics, uh, anyone can do it. You know, I did it. That was my journey. 10 years ago, I was about to graduate from school, not knowing what the heck I was going to do. And now I've got a, a great and successful and fulfilling creative business. And so it's not as hard as you think. The bar is lower than you think. It just takes one courageous step in front of the other. Well said. Well said. I think that the biggest obstacle is ourselves on this. Exactly. Yeah. If we can get past ourselves and just lean into the vision, you know, nothing, nothing will uh, hold us back. Where do you want us to go online to learn more and to learn more about the book? Sure. So the book's on sale uh, at Amazon. If you type the conquering creative, you should be able to find it. And it's also online at the conquering creative.com slash book, the conquering creative.com slash book. And one thing I like to point out is, you know, even if you are not a creative yourself, we all know people that are creative. We all have that cousin or that nephew or that friend who's trying to make a living doing their creative thing. You know, this is a great gift idea for them. You know, graduation's coming up in a matter of weeks. So, you know, even if this might not resonate with you specifically, we all know people that I think this will be helpful for. And that's really my goal is to, is to help as many people as as we can. So, you know, head to the website, check out the link, buy the book, buy it for a friend or, or your your kid or your nephew, or whoever, whoever you think might need to read. Absolutely. That's what I'm doing with this copy. Once I finish perusing it, as I know who it's going to, it's going to my friend, Ryan, who I mentioned. Perfect. Thanks again, Ryan, for, for the questions um, and helping me prepare for this conversation. William, uh, another great conversation. I'm so glad I had you ha back on the show, had the opportunity to, to converse with you again. Uh, thanks for sharing so openly. Thanks for this great book and for spending time with me today. For sure. Thanks, Henry. I really appreciate it. Love your podcast. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and share about something that I'm very passionate about. And hopefully it was helpful to your audience. And um, yeah, let's do it. Let's go forth and conquer. Absolutely. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was William Warren. I release new episodes every Monday morning. And you can listen and subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.